Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. So glad you're here with us this morning at Graceway. Are you glad to be in God's house this morning? Amen, amen. Thank you to everybody who's watching via Facebook. It's glad, good to see you guys, too. I was on there commenting with you just a minute ago before I came out. Um, as we get into it this morning, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2. Um, you're probably pretty familiar with that chapter, but we're going to go a couple different places in it. But go ahead and get there. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in just a moment. The very last Sunday of 2020. It's almost done. <laughs> we're almost there. We're, we're in the home stretch. This is the last Sunday of 2020, December 27th. Oh, we're almost out. Oh, but let me just hit you with something maybe that I don't want, I don't want to mess your day up. I, I, just, I just want to posit an idea. What if it wasn't the year? Because, I mean, like, January was fine, right? And then, then Australia was on fire and everything kind of spun out of control from there. But we're looking forward to the year changing over. But we don't know what 2021 will bring any more than we knew what 2020 will bring. The world is always going to throw stuff in our direction. Um, as we get into it this morning, I, I don't mean to depress anybody with that thought. I actually mean to give you hope as we think, as we ponder that idea and go forward. And I can't give you hope, but God has plenty of hope in his word. And that's what we're going to look for. Um, it has been, it's been a year, y'all. It's been, it's been some stuff and some things, and I wouldn't recommend any of it to anyone. <laughs> there have also been blessings. There have been good things. There have been joyous occasions, just like any other year. I think this year the big difference is there was there were some big things that we all shared in that weren't so great, and it's that's what's really set it apart. And and by we all, I mean Earth. We've all shared in some things this year that we that we've that we've not had before, and it's what led us to this series, the Connected Christmas series. And I know we're two days past Christmas, but it'll make sense when we get into it here in a second. So why did, why did we go with a connected Christmas as the, as the series? The Lord led us there, and it was a lot of prayer and thought about, about what we would talk about this Christmas season, but connected because we haven't been. There's been social distance, and because of social distance, actual physical distance. We went through an election, so there was ideological distance. Stress, anxiety, grief, and through it all, whether you're saved, unsaved, churched, unchurched, doesn't matter who you were, we've all collectively let it disconnect us from one another. And if we're being real honest, and I'll be real honest about my situation, I've let it disconnect me from the Lord. I've let the distractions come in waves as they have this year. And I have not observed what I have taught so many times about the story when Peter stepped out on the water to keep my eyes on Jesus instead of looking at the wind and the waves. And yes, the waves have been much bigger this year than we could have ever imagined. But God has never moved. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the firm place where we plant our feet. He is the rock of our salvation. He is where we can put the foundation of everything we believe, everything we hope, and everything we are. 
and the wind and the waves can't change that. COVID can't change that, an election can't change that, and the, the crisis in our country, the crisis in the world, the things we disagree on, none of it can change who he is and how faithful he is. And so we kind of start there. What do we gravitate towards for comfort? We've done it for thousands of years, and this year has been especially prominent. What do you gravitate towards for comfort? Some of us food. Yes, for sure. <laughs> but around the world, we all gravitate towards the same thing. We go after the same thing. It's the reason Netflix has billions of dollars. We go after stories. We like stories because stories let us distract and connect to something else for a little bit. It has been that way for thousands of years. It's why back when there were just tribes of nomadic people, the guy who knew all the stories was the popular one because everybody got to listen to the stories. We have our favorites. We have our favorite regular stories. We all have our favorite movie. But some of us have our favorite Christmas stories. I'm going to run through the list of the, cr of the classic Christmas stories. If you're in here and I name your favorite Christmas movie, go ahead and throw your hand up for me. If you're, if you're on Facebook, just comment that one or the name of, name of the movie as I hit it. Which one's yours? So anybody got a Christmas story? Not, not favorite, but we like it. Polar Express. The Santa Claus. There you go. Elf. <laughs> Elf, several of you, that's your favorite. It's a Wonderful Life, that's a few of us. Jingle All the Way, Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting for a toy, that's a good one. Um, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it's one of my favorites. Not my, not my top, I'll get to my top. Um, the New Grinch that I never saw, is that anybody's favorite? I've heard it's good, it's just not my favorite. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, some of you, with, with, with a little emo in your heart. Uh, Home Alone, that's a few people's favorite Christmas. Charlie Brown Christmas. It's Christmas, Charlie Brown. I love that one. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Who doesn't love to watch Hermes be a dentist? <laughs> Christmas Vacation. <laughs> you serious, Clark? Um, and then my personal favorite Christmas movie, and I don't know if any of you are with me, but Die Hard. Okay, just me and Archie and Daniel. Just us. Okay, that's our favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> There's been many an argument in the Blackburn household as to whether or not that's a Christmas movie, and I maintain that it is. Yeah, most of you probably don't agree. We gravitate towards stories because we see ourselves in them. We're fascinated by them. We, we, like, we like the story. Um, but the truth is, it, we all like it because we can place ourselves in it. Because some of us, it, the way we've learned to think about life and how things go, we have been shaped by the entertainment we've watched a little bit, and we think of our life as our story. And it is. Our story is being written. Even now, as you sit here in this sermon, your story is still currently being written. The question I have for you this morning, though, is who is writing it? Are we letting him write our story? Are we letting God take control and write the story? Or are we trying to take control of the pen and write some things in ourselves that we would selfishly want in there? Um, his story that he's writing with your life may lead to discomfort. I, I guarantee it will. It will lead to some hurt. It will lead to some heartbreak as he's making you into who you are supposed to be in him. He never promises this us that once we get saved, everything's going to be great and it'll be fine and nothing will ever go wrong. We live in a broken, sinful world, and so that won't be true yet. He promises us that he will walk with us through all of that and that at the end of it, we have the hope of heaven and living in his presence forever. Who's writing our story? Luke chapter 2. 
And we're going we're gonna to get started here in just a second in verse 25. And we come to a guy whose story finds its way into the Christmas story after the fact. Usually when we tell the story in Luke chapter 2, we, we stop somewhere around verse 20. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told. And that's the story of Christmas. But if you keep going through verses 21 and on, we find out about Jesus' circumcision and, and following through, his parents following through with the law of the day, which was to, to, to circumcise the, the boy, and then to bring him into the temple to be, to be presented before God. And that was, that's where we find our story here. And we find our story with a guy named Simeon. Simeon, as we'll read here in a moment, he's just a guy. He's a guy in possession of something that most people weren't at that time, but that you and I are, and let's read it. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple where the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, to present him to the Lord in the temple. Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. He prophesies as he's holding the baby Jesus. In verse 33 it says, His father and mother were amazed at what had been said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. And this, this part, if you, I don't know how it does in your Bible, there's, there's an extra little almost parenthesis for this portion that he tells her. There's, I've, got, I've got hyphens on either side, and it says, And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your love, and for your son. Thank you for what he did for us. Thank you for this time of year when we get to remember and we get to point everything in his direction like we should be. God, thank you for your salvation that was freely given to all of us. Be with us now as we look into your word. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Let me say nothing that would hinder your message from going forward this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We have Simeon. And Simeon... At the birth of Jesus, it says, this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. That's different a little bit. As we exist now, the Holy Spirit has come. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within the believer. But at this point, the Holy Spirit took over whom uh, and was upon whom it needed to be in order for the story to unfold. We find all throughout the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come and be upon our, our heroes of the faith in the Old Testament in the moment when they needed Him, in the moment when God's presence needed to be with them for whatever they were doing. But it is unique now, since Pentecost, for those of us who have accepted the gift of Christ on the cross to now be able to possess the Holy Spirit. I always imagine, I've told, uh, I've, somebody brought this thought up, I, I don't remember which preacher it was, but I, I love the idea that when we get to heaven, we might run up to Moses and ask him what it was like to part the Red Sea. And we might run over to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and ask them what it was like to stand in fire and not be burned. And to all our heroes of the faith from the Old Testament, and go ask them, what was it like, what was it like, what was it like, what was it like? Only for them to ask, wait, no, 
I have a question for you because I only got the Holy Spirit in that moment. What was it like for you to walk around with it dwelling in you every single day after your salvation? And that part always makes me feel guilty. That I have the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that God moves with me and in me and can work through me, and what is stifling him? He is all-powerful, but it is my choice. My choice that doesn't allow the Spirit to work through me so that God's kingdom would come here on earth in my everyday life. Simeon had the Holy Spirit because he was about to hold the baby Jesus in his arms and give this prophecy. He prophesies for Israel. And he, and he says it, um, um, now master, in verse 29, you can dismiss your servant as you promised. He points to God's promises. For, your, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it. He's talking about salvation that will come to everyone. And then he says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And this is one of the first times we see in the New Testament it mentioned that this, this salvation was not just going to be to God's people. It was not just going to be to Israel. It was going to be for everyone. It was going to go out to all peoples. And even the disciples uh, later on, Peter would need God to, to lay it out very plainly for him. You will take this message to everyone. But it, Simeon says it here at the birth of Jesus. This will be a light to the entire world for their salvation. And then he prophesies and it turns to Mary. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. So he will be the salvation for many. They will rise with him, but he will also be the cause of the fall of many. And the Bible says he will be a stumbling block. A rock to trip over. Because people who want their selfish desires and people who want to eschew the truth... They're going to come in contact with the truth of who God is in Jesus, and it's going to cause friction, and they're going to choose the other way. And we see it happen. People who would, who would spitefully curse him, the, the Pharisees who would come against him and eventually bring him and put him to death, people who in his own home who didn't believe in who he was or what he said he was doing, he came up against these people, and, they, and he became a stumbling block for them because, as the Bible says, they, they loved their deeds in the darkness. Their deeds were evil, and, and so they couldn't know the light. And then he says to her in verse 35, And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He tells Mary specifically, You are going to experience a pain like I cannot describe, that a, a sword would pierce your very soul is what this pain will be. He's pointed to what Mary's going to witness Jesus go through on the cross. He's telling her that this great joy and this happiness, in order for it to be fulfilled into the thing that will be joy and happiness and the greatest gift ever given to all of mankind, there will be great pain and grief and sorrow before it's done. And that is God having to work things out in a sinful, broken, cursed world. As he tries to, to make things work together for our good, he's working through the sin that we've cursed ourselves with and that we keep choosing, if we're honest with ourselves, that we keep going back to. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It is always hurtful sometimes to get to the truth. He's saying this pain that will come is what is going to lead to the greatest revelation of truth there ever was. Of how good God is that even though we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he came to make us alive. 
we'll circle back to that in a second, but I also want to keep going. There's, there's somebody else here, Anna, that we only have three verses in all of Scripture about, and we, we read her story really quickly here in verse 36. There also was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And that part always confused me, and I was like, what do you mean she lived with him? Of course she lived with him seven years after her marriage. It means she was with, they were only married for seven years. There was a marriage, they were that strange. They were married for seven years and was a widow for 84 years. Imagine, in some translations, you could, you could bring it around to say that she was 84 at this time. Here we have it, it, it looks like it says was a widow for 84 years. So if that's true, and she was married, say around 13, she's well over 100 years old at this point, Anna is. And was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God day and night with fasting and prayers. And at, the very, at that very moment, that very moment that Simeon is holding baby Jesus and prophesying, she came up and began to thank God, to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She's a prophetess, which is a word we don't see a lot in the Bible. There's only about six of them in, the entire, in, in all of Scripture, um, which is an interesting title to be placed on her. She lives in the temple. She was widowed early in life. Life probably didn't go the way she imagined it would. She imagined she would live with her husband a long time. She was only married for seven years. So as she's a, a widow, probably in her 20s, she gives her life in service to God and becomes a prophetess of the temple, living in the temple, fasting and praying, doing the work there. She gave her life in service for her faith in God. And when she finally sees him, this baby that's coming, who doesn't get happy when a baby comes in the room, by the way? This baby comes in the temple, and they begin, and Simeon begins prophesying, and she immediately begins witnessing to the people coming in. I can just, I can picture, like, if you can picture your grandmother greeting everybody at Christmas. Everybody's coming in the door, and she's saying, Look at the baby. Only instead of, Look how cute, she's saying, Look, we're saved. We're saved from everything. He'll be the one. Our salvation has come. Our God is faithful. We see in Simeon and Anna two people's stories that find their way by faith to Jesus. Their story comes in contact to him. And if there's one big point we're after this morning with our connected Christmas theme, it's this. We see others saved when we connect his story to theirs. A story... Unlike any other story, a story that's been told again and again and again and again, and I can think of five movies off the top of my head where they tried. And some of them are pretty close. A story that should influence the way you and I live everyday life. Because what happened in that story, and it's not just a story, it's the truth, changed the very nature of who you and I are for the rest of eternity. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. We don't just add salvation onto our already existent life. We don't just bring Jesus into what we already got going on. We get made new. This story that is full of pain, death, blood, hurt, grief, this story that is full of all those things that will eventually be for all people's good, and good with a capital G, but we shy away from telling it especially in times when things aren't seeming so good. When the world doesn't go the way we want it to, when things aren't moving that way, when the whole world seems a little quiet, a little more depressed, 
The last thing we want to do is tell another story of hurt. I, you know what I mean. When you're in one of those moods and, and you just want something uplifting, sometimes you just got to watch a comedy, right? Sometimes you just got to watch Elf. I don't like Elf. There's a confession in front of you. It's, I, I shocked some people. I'm sorry. Not my favorite movie. It was overquoted at me a thousand times before I finally saw it, and it's, it's fine. You Sit on a Throne of Lies was hilarious, but other than that, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good joke. Um, you smell like beef and cheese is pretty good, too. Um, <laughs> Sometimes we just need a comedy. I, I watched, a, I remember in my late teen years, I watched a particularly terrifying movie in the movie theater and had to go home and watch like episodes of The Simpsons repeatedly so I could come down off the terror so I could go to bed. Um, we get in a mood, we don't want to watch that thing. We've hit a mood this year. Everything's already somber, everything's already pretty important. And so we've lost our appetite for the somber importance of, of the story that is changing you and I on the daily. Simeon points to another part of the story that won't feel joyous, but will produce the most joyous occasion in all of history. It will involve so much pain and sorrow that it's sometimes hard to tell, but we must. We tell the story of the gospel, not just with our words, but with our actions, with how we live our life with eternity in mind. Anna got through 84 years as a widow because she had eternity in mind. We get through the things we have going on in life because we understand that this life is not it and this world is not our home. And that beyond this is our true existence in the presence of God forever and ever where there is no more heartbreak, there is no more pain, there is no more grief. We don't have to lose ever again. In fact, the only thing we lose is our faith because our faith becomes our eyes. The story of the gospel is a story of loss and hurt and pain that we put our faith in because it leads to eventual victory. He died on the cross praying for the people who would nail him to it. In front of his mother and his, some of his disciples, half, most of them abandoned him. He didn't do anything wrong. He never cursed anyone or blasphemed a thing. The trial that they brought against him was illegal. And they beat him within an inch of his life and they tore his flesh. They made him carry the implement of his death up a hill. And upon it they nailed him to it. And all the while he was forgiving people and telling the thieves around him that they would be in heaven with him. The story hurts to tell but it's the most important thing we can ever do. John 19, you don't have to flip there, I'll read it for you. In verse 25 it says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, John's referring to himself there, standing there, he said to his mother, who was told that a sword would pierce her own soul, as she stands there, woman here is your son, then he said to the disciple John, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Jesus was fulfilling his obligation as a son to his earthly mother to make sure she was taken care of because he was the firstborn son and that was what he was supposed to do. He made sure she was okay, that she'd be okay. Because being a widow without a son or without anyone to take care of you was almost a death sentence in their culture. She made sure she was taken care of. 
After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine or vinegar was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. In Aramaic, he would have used the word tetelestai, which means paid in full. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He didn't fear death at the hands of men, what he feared in the garden at Gethsemane before he went, knowing what he was taking on was the full weight of the wrath of God that was owed to you and me for every sin we would ever commit. And in that act, and after that, after that giving up of his spirit, they pierce his side to make sure he's gone, and they bury him. Praise God it didn't take. He defeated death in the grave sealing our salvation for all time. He came out of the grave, and for 40 days he walked around correcting people's theology and telling them what was what, and setting people on the path to go tell everybody else, and then he ascended when it was time. I stand here realizing it's been a while since I've told the story, and that is a hard thing to admit. That story that is supposed to be shaping me day by day, it's supposed to inform the way I interact with the people around with me, the, the way I, I pray, the way I, I go about worshiping. And I became numb to it. And I bet, because God's having me preach this this morning, and I'm not the only one. I became numb to the story that should change everything. And it's not just this, and I should, we, and make no mistake, we shouldn't be sidling up to the story and worshiping the story. We worship the God of the story. The God who's writing your story and mine. We should be getting as close to the protagonist of that story as we can get because Jesus is all we need. He is the firm foundation where our feet are placed. He is our rock and our hope. He is the only place to put our faith and trust. And may God forgive us for chasing after all these other little things that don't amount to a hill of beans when he's standing right there, arms wide open. We keep going after all this little stuff, and he is still gracious. When we realized our mistake to say, I know you're walking through the fire and the valley and the darkness, and I'll go with you. And that is what a world steeped in COVID and political stuff and anger and fear and grief and hatred needs to hear that there is a savior willing to go with them through it all. They keep hearing how we feel and how you feel is true, therefore it is important, but we need to keep telling them who we serve because who we serve is the most important thing. He gave up his spirit for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? And if you're at home watching via Facebook, maybe just where you're at, just in an attitude of prayer, I want you to think about something for just a moment. First, have you heard the story that I just got to tell? And if you've heard it, have you responded to it? Because what Jesus did on the cross requires a response from everyone who hears it. And make no mistake that no response is still a response. Have you let that story come into contact with who you are here and now? 
to change you, to accept the gift that was given on the cross, that was made possible by the defeat of the grave, to know Jesus as your Savior, so that you would be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and know God and live with God for all of eternity. I can point to a day, a time, probably even an hour, October 22nd, 2003, and it was in youth group, so mm, probably about 7.45. (laughs) And yes, because we like to tell the story, I had green hair and I looked like a gothopotamus at the time. (sighs) People who are in this room who love Jesus and because they love Jesus learn to love people no matter what front they were trying to put on or what they were trying to do loved me to the cross and told me this story. More than telling me the story they told me how this story affected me and the choice I had to make in it. And it's very simple. Do you accept the gift that Christ has offered or don't you? And I bet a lot of us in this room and I bet a lot of you watching via Facebook can probably point to a day and a time You remember where you were, you remember what it was like, you remember when you made the decision, but I would also venture to guess with this number of people, maybe there are some of you who don't. If you don't remember a time, if you don't remember a when and where, it doesn't mean you're not saved, but it's also not a risk worth taking to not know. It's a prayer. As in all things and how we communicate to God, we pray to him, we accept the gift, we admit that we have sinned and that we are in need of a savior and those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's you, you can pray this prayer from right where you sit. I'm going to pray it. Uh, I'm going to lead us in it. And if you don't know a day and a time, you don't know that, that you are definitely saved, that heaven is definitely your home, that you definitely know Jesus, you can pray this prayer. It's different every time we do it. It's no set prayer. There's nothing, there's nothing set to it. There's a, there's a few things we go through. But it just goes something like this. You pray it if you need it. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I believe because of what your word says that I am a sinner in need of a Savior and that you are the only one who can save me. I want to accept And I do accept what you have done on the cross for me. I am inviting you to be in my life and to transform my life and for the Holy Spirit to dwell inside me and for you to take me to heaven when this life is over. And I am putting all my faith and all my trust in you and you alone for my eternity. Save me, Lord, and thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. With head still bowed and eyes still closed, if that's you this morning, if you prayed that prayer right here in this room, if you would, maybe just be brave enough, we'd love to just pray for you. It's just me looking around. If you prayed that prayer sitting in here, just slip your hand up. And for those of you at home watching via Facebook, maybe you prayed that prayer just now. We'd love to know. You can message us right here on Facebook. I'll be watching it. I'll talk to you. It'd be me. It'd be Pastor Derek. We'll, We'll get back to you. We just want to be praying for you. If you prayed that prayer, maybe just shoot us a message. If you're, pra- if you're, bra- if you're brave enough to do it in front of people, it's, a, it's an amazing decision, and no one's going to judge you for making it. Maybe put it right there in the comments. I got saved today. We'd love to see it. It's the most important decision anyone will ever make, is what to do with what Jesus has done for them on the cross. 
How about for those of us that can point to the time and the place we name ourselves Christians, we know we are, we know our eternity is secure in Him, but we've let ourselves get numb to the story. We focus on all the things that 2020 has handed us rather than what God is trying to bless us with and what God is trying to bless through us. That this story is not just something that happened and we moved on, but what was done in this story is still unfolding in the work of our salvation. And so it should be changing us day by day, as the Bible says, because God is conforming us into the image of his son. When's the last time the story moved you to be different, changed you in a way you didn't expect, grabbed hold of all of your attention, and gave you gratitude for who he is in that moment? When's the last time you just sat down and read it for yourself? I think the most important question past all those I can ask is, when is the last time you told that story to someone who needed to hear it? We see people saved when we connect his story to theirs. Everyone is the main character in their own story in their head. But we know the truth that when we connect with Jesus, he becomes the main character of our story. And that is a freedom like we can't believe. To let him be the hero of the story. To let him change us into something new. To see his kingdom come and what we're doing and how we're living our life. This morning, we're going to have a time, just a short time of invitation as we sing. If you need to pray, come forward. We'd love to pray with you. If, if you feel like you've left that behind, you can, you can kneel and pray right at your seat. But don't leave here without doing business with God. The same for you at home watching via Facebook. We're going to take a moment. And if you need to talk to someone afterward, message us on Facebook, email us, gracewaylex at gmail. We will get back to you today. Don't leave this church service this last Sunday of 2020 without making connection and letting something change for next year because we're all going to make New Year's resolutions and we're going to break most of them I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution I'm talking, re talking about reconnecting with our creator Heavenly Father be with us in these next few minutes as we do business with you as we pray to you as we, as we find something new in you some place we should have been be with those who need your salvation that they would be joyous enough to to proclaim it and tell us that we may celebrate but be with those of us that need to make decisions now before we leave here this morning in jesus name we pray amen would you thank you for listening today at graceway our strongest desire is to glorify christ by telling everyone about his grace if you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.